Okay, good. So, um, um, okay, now, so, so you, know the, you know the background of the letter. You know why Paul's writing the letter. He takes his first couple of chapters here. He has these defenses of himself against his accusers. And uh, they're riddled with little um, spiritual gems. All right? So when you hear Galatians, that's one of the things you want to look for. Especially when Paul is defending himself against people who are, people are always running him down. And he has these beautiful little spiritual gems in there um, that apply to, to anybody at any time. And it's funny how, how it is. Paul develops this reputation, as I've told you in past weeks. And there's a funny thing about a reputation. A reputation is kind of like a ball. Once it starts moving, people start kicking it around. Okay, The best thing in the whole world is to be obscure. <laughs> Nobody ever makes fun of you if you're obscure. Uh, but Paul, you know, he's got this mission that God has entrusted to him, and he and he uh, he, he grows, um, he he develops, and people start trying to tear down poor Paul. Um, before I get onto the, the heart of the letter, though, now there's one little thing in Galatians that gets a lot of attention. Have you ever heard it said that Peter and Paul get into a fight? Who's heard that before? Okay, who's never heard that before? Okay, I hate to scandalize you, all right. But uh, just, you know, a preemptive strike for you here. Uh, There are sometimes people, sometimes with an agenda against the papacy. Maybe against the the Holy Father. And what they'll do is they'll quote Galatians. And this one segment of Galatians where Peter and Paul get in a fight and Paul wins. So what does that tell you? What does that tell you? I heard in a debate once between... um, you find here the funniest thing from children, uh, and these two little these two little children they were talking about uh, the Pope. So you know what Catholics believe about the Pope? The one says to the other, they they believe he's omniscient, he knows all things. He goes, no, they don't believe that. They believe he's inflammable. <laughs> okay, so Peter and Paul they get into a fight, and we have to take a look at this little passage. Okay. Let's read from this. This is chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Sometimes it's translated as he was clearly in the wrong. For before certain men came from James, he ate with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And with him, the rest of the Jews acted insincerely, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their insincerity. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, what's going on here? He's talking about what Peter's eating. All right? And this is what happens. All right? This is the whole background for the fight between Peter and Paul. Uh, Peter's up here, okay, and, and, and James, James is the bishop of Jerusalem, James comes with some Jewish converts. Okay, so Peter's there, he's eating a ham and cheese on rye. Or maybe he's having a bacon cheeseburger. Okay? And along come the Jewish converts and Peter quickly switches over to kosher. When the Jewish converts are around, the Jewish converts walk out the door, he wipes the sweat off his brow and he picks up the cheeseburger again. Okay? Um, and Paul confronts him when, he, when he's saying this. He says, Peter, you're in the wrong. You shouldn't act like that. Peter was at the Council of Jerusalem. He was there when they said that you, you, the, 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 um, 
kosher dietary laws don't apply. What Paul's really saying to Peter here in this passage is, why don't you tell them, yeah, I know it would be tough, why don't you tell them that the, the, the law of Moses doesn't apply anymore? Why are you so weak? Is there a doctrinal problem here that Paul's contradicting Peter? No. Is there a disciplinary problem that Paul's contradicting Peter? Yes. Is Peter weak? You already knew that, right? Okay, this is the same guy who, uh, you know, this, 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 is, this, is, this is the same guy who walked on water and began to sink. It's the same guy who said, Lord, I'll never deny you. Even if the cock crows three times. By the way, you ever sit face St. Peter on Judgment Day? You know what you say to him? He lists all your sins. You say to him, Hey, Peter, cock-a-doodle-doo. Okay? Was Paul, was Peter actually in error? No, he was not. Right? Just in practice. So what we want to make sure we understand here in this, in this passage is, look, Peter's not a saint yet, is he? Peter's not a saint yet. He's on his way, so are you, so am I. Uh, but what we got here is a personal weakness, not a doctrinal error, so you, you can't denounce the, the primacy of Peter. But you can say that, hey, even the Pope can commit a sin. Okay, now there's your first section. Let's go to the second section. What do we mean by justification by faith? Okay? This is a major doctrinal section of the Bible here. Chapters 3 and 4. And it's something that applies to us uh, very much today as well. Okay? Justification, he says, by faith in Christ, as I've already told you, not by observance of the law. And this is why. Here's why, Paul says. Okay? If you want to know why we don't have to observe kosher anymore, Paul says, let's go back to justification the way it was in the beginning. Let's go back to the first one who was ever justified in God's sight. Who was that? Abraham. Okay? It says, Abraham was justified in God's sight. Where did the law come from, Paul says? Where did the law come from, Paul says? Mount Sinai. Okay? Mount Sinai. A long time later. Lots of things have happened. Abraham. Isaac. Jacob. Joseph. Coat of many colors. Okay? They go down to Egypt. They're in slavery in Egypt. Uh, they get out of slavery in Egypt. They, they, you know, Pharaoh, let my people go. And they cross the Red Sea. Okay? And Cecil B. DeMille made a movie about it. Okay? And they go back to Sinai. And that's where they get the law. And Paul says, hey, if it's the law that justifies, then how exactly was Abraham justified? Okay? Abraham was justified by faith. And, and you think about what, what Abraham did. It's really astonishing. God gives this 72-year-old man a commandment. Okay, just when you think he's going to settle down and take up golf or fishing or whatever he does at 72, God says to him, Come follow me now to a land that I will show you. It's one of my favorite lines in the Bible. Come follow me to a land where he didn't even know where he was going. And then he tells him he's going to have one beloved son. Just one beloved son. And then he has his one beloved son, Isaac, and God asks him to do what? To kill him. And God asks him to kill him. Okay? And he actually obeys. And of course, it stays his hand. He doesn't allow him to, 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 to kill. But, but he, he proves that he's a friend of God. And he's justified by faith. And Paul says, this is where the law comes from. 
This is what the law is based on. It's based on the promises that God made to Abraham. God was so pleased with Abraham that he said, if you and your descendants will make a great nation, and they'll be as numerous as the stars of the sky. So here's where Paul's coming from. Faith comes first. Right? Hey, the law served its purpose. It wasn't bad. But faith was God's plan from the beginning. All right? And what he's doing now, he's restoring it to its original plan. Does Jesus ever talk like that in the New Testament? Does Jesus ever talk like that in the Scriptures? He says it about marriage. He says it about marriage. The the Pharisees say, Moses let us divorce by giving a decree of divorce. What do you have to say, teacher? And Jesus says, Moses did that because of the stubbornness of your hearts, but from the beginning, it was never intended to be like that. Now let's go back to the way he intended from the beginning. God's original plan. All things restored in Christ, okay? So Paul says this law of Judaism, it was like a caretaker. Okay? And Paul says, we don't need a caretaker anymore. We're now sons and daughters of God. We're heirs. Okay? We don't, we don't, we don't need a, a, a steps a stepfather anymore. We've been baptized into Christ. We relate to God as Father. Okay? Um, just give you a little passage that basically says all that. I'm reading from chapter 3, verses 23 to 29. Before faith came, we were confined under the law, kept under restraint, so that until faith could be revealed, so that the law was our custodian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under the custodian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. You're one in Christ Jesus. And if you're of Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You're heirs according to the promise. Okay? So, we've got the basic premise, right? Of justification by faith. Now for the heart of the letter. This is the heart of the letter. Okay? Chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, he talks about what it really means to be justified by faith. Let's take a look at this, okay? The heir, as long as he's a child, is no better than a slave. Though he's the owner of all the estate. But he's under guardians and trustees until the date set by the father. So it is with us. When we were children, we were slaves to the elemental spirits of the universe. But when the time had come fully, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive our adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent His Spirit of of the Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So that through God, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if as a son, then an heir. Abba, that's the message of the letter to the Galatians. Abba, the Spirit of God in you makes you cry out, Abba. Now let's take a look at the word Abba, okay? Where's the word Abba come from? I've preached on this before. And if you hear me preach on it again, pretend like you never heard it, okay? Because I only have but so many stories to share. But Abba is baby talk. Now think about that. Little baby, what do they do? Bad, 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 bad. And of course, then you hear what they say, and you go, "Oh, he just said daddy. He just said da da." Well, we hear da da. Middle Eastern ear hears Abba. What what is it that we call God? In the spirit of Christ, we call God our da da. Don't be shocked. It's divine revelation. 
It's kind of interesting the way we, people hear things. Um, we hear little chicks, little chicks, right? You write a little kid's book. What, what sound do little chicks make? Beep, beep, cheep, 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 cheep. It's interesting, if you go to Spain and you read a Spanish kid's book, they all, little chicks, they all say P-O-P-O-P-O. That's what they, the sound P-O-P-O-P-O-P-O, that's what they think they're making. So they, we hear Abba, we hear Dada, they hear Abba. Now let's stop and think about the word Abba, because this really is the spirit of faith. This really is the justifying spirit. How much faith does it take to go to God and say Dada? What kind of faith does a little child have who still refers to his father as his dada? What kind of complaining does that little child do? What kind of goodness does that little child expect? What kind of hope does that little child have? Total hope. Total faith. Total trust. Total confidence. They did a brain scan of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And they found that the, 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 the brain activity that she had, her neurological signature, was that of a six-year-old girl. She was so used to just relying on God as her Abba, her Dada. That's the faith that makes you a friend of God. That's the spirit that makes you a friend of God. When you go before your Heavenly Father in, 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 on the Day of Judgment and you say to Him, Abba, you're not going to get turned away. If you live your whole life in a spirit of Abba, you're justified like Abraham of old. That's the message of Paul to the Galatians. Yes? Actually, I'm not, I'm not aware. I, I, could, I, could, I could look that up and I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. Note to self. I, I, can't, I can't field questions right now. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, I have to finish. Um, let's see. Uh, where was I? Um, okay. So there, there, there's, there's your heart of the matter. Okay. That, that's, that's, that's the heart of the matter here. And, and you just want to think about that. If you want to be like Abraham of, of old, okay, God says, go, you go. God says, sacrifice. Hope he changes his mind, but... You sacrifice. You do what God says because you have absolute confidence, absolute trust. That's what makes you a friend of God. Okay. So now let's go into the final section here because what he does then is he takes this understanding of justification by faith, just like Abraham, okay, and he applies it to our life. Now what we need to steer clear of here is the idea that this is kind of like a, like a, a, a proto-Lutheranism. Okay. Um, and, and, and it is not. It is not at all. And Paul makes this clear here. Okay? He, he contrasts the law of the spirit with the law of the flesh. Right? Um, and he says that uh, you know, in, in, in the law of Christ is a law of freedom. The Mosaic law was a law of obligations. It was a law of constraints. If you live by that Mosaic law, if you think that you're justified by external practices, by, by, by what you do, by waking up on the right side of the bed as opposed to the left, uh, you know, by not carrying a, 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 a pin that's been sewn into your coat because it would count as work on the Sabbath day, all these things, um, if you're following those precepts of the law, uh, he says you've cut yourself off from Christ. Okay? Um, so he develops this idea, though. He says there, there's works, though, of the Spirit. We don't want to worry about the works of the flesh. We want to worry about the works of the Spirit. He doesn't say works are bad. He just says have the right works, have the works of the Spirit. 
Okay, now some people, they hear this, uh, you're no longer under the law anymore. They hear this message, you're no longer under the law anymore. And, and they act like Corinthians. They say, woohoo, now I can do anything I want. Um, and that's, that, that, that's, that's certainly not true. Okay? The works of the Spirit are the response by which you, you, the response, the obedient response by which you say Abba. And he talks about what the works of the Spirit and the works of the flesh look like. Okay, what did Jesus say? Jesus says, by the fruits, you'll know the value of the tree. Okay, now here's a great examination of conscience. He talks about the fruits of the Spirit, okay, and the fruits of the flesh. And you can read this. When I say walk by the Spirit and don't gratify the desires of the flesh, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would do. Now, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The works of the flesh are plain. Immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things won't inherit the kingdom of God. It's, a good, it's not a bad examination of conscience. Okay? Idolatry. Putting anything before God. Um, sorcery. Don't even read the horoscope. Please, don't put your trust in that stuff. Uh, jealousy, anger, division, selfishness, dissensions. The fruit of the Spirit, though, is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, so he's you know just it's, it's not a bad little examination of conscience there when he's applying. Hey, what does it look like when you when you really live on this Abba, and what does it look like when you don't live according to this idea of Abba? Chapter 6, I highly recommend it. Okay, it's got some great little uh, spiritual gems in there. Um, and he talks about the idea that anybody who lives by this faith is a brand new creation because grace operates at a much higher level than any human action. God created everything out of nothing. And grace is created and given to one who is nothing. Okay, you've got no previous merits whatsoever. Supernaturally, you're a brand new creation, a brand new uh, existence. Um, just one tiny last little passage here, chapter 6, the very, 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 very end, 14 to 18. Far be it from me to glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but this new creation. Peace and mercy be upon all who walk in this rule and upon the Israel of God. Henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, so there's your core message of the letter to the Galatians. So you see what Paul's doing. Defends himself. Explains about Abraham. Talks about what that justification is. And what it looks like in us when we act on it. That's the letter to the Galatians. The reason why I love this letter is it's so so compact. It just goes from beginning to end and makes this really important, this really important point. Um... The spirit of absolute trust, the spirit of abandonment, the spirit of Abba.
Something that we can always, always continue to grow in. Telling is really the difference between being child-ish versus child-like. We want that childlike spirit. Um, the idea that God has called us, as Mother Teresa said, not to be successful. God's called us to be faithful. So there's your letter to the Galatians, okay? Now next week we go over Romans. Now it's a very similar message. I said Galatians is like a rough draft to Romans. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more about uh, Romans next week, but a lot of the same themes are going to carry over from, Romans to, from Galatians to Romans. Okay, so... Questions. Now I can field questions. Yes. Uh, just a couple of things. I was going to say about 